Favorites. We all have something that's a favorite of ours. Over the last number of years, I've gotten into running, and I've run a number of full marathons and some half marathons. But when I think about the ones I had an opportunity to run in, there was a half marathon that really was a favorite of mine because of the meaning of that, of that half marathon. You see, I ran the marathon, that half marathon on April 25th, 2009. It was the Country Music Marathon in Nashville, Tennessee. Four months before that, on January 6th, 2009, at 16 months of age, Anderson Thrower was uh, diagnosed with a uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And um, when he was uh, diagnosed with that, he took Andy and Jan and big sister Avery on a, on a journey. And it was a journey of uh, monthly chemo treatments, uh, weekly lab treatments, daily oral treatments. And as they went through this journey, they found themselves in a um, kind of in, in a life of parents who walked through pediatric oncology. And they found out that walking through that journey can be pretty lonely. And there are a lot of needs that need to be met. And so out of the midst of that, they developed a ministry called A-Team. And A-Team specifically ministers to families who are going through pediatric cancer. And that came out of Anderson's diagnosis. So early on, they matched up with a group called Team in Training. And Team in Training uh, is a group, is an organization that raises money for, uh, uh, for blood cancer research. And they do runs. And so when people uh, go run marathons, half marathons with Team in Training, they help you to learn how to do the fundraising. And you try to get donations, and people will give you donations, and all of that goes to fund uh, blood cancer research. So they made it known that they were going to do this run, that it was going to be in Nashville, and uh, they were hoping people would participate. So uh, there were a number of people that, that signed up, and, um, and we've got a group picture, I think, of, of our group. These are the folks that, that signed up, and uh, some ran, and some were there to support. And so we're there, and we're in the air conditioning of the, uh, the, the, day be, the night before the, the big run, Okay. So we're all happy and smiling, and we really look fresh. We really look fresh. And uh, that next day, uh, when we went to run, the temperature eased into the mid-80s in Nashville, Tennessee. It was said that it was the hottest race in their 11-year history of running this race. There were health warnings throughout. But what happens is, is that we made it. And when we made it, just I love this picture over here because the next picture you see, there I am standing, and there's Eric Allen. You see Eric? Eric's got the look on his face. He says, what have I just done? And uh, I think it was that conversation in talking to Eric when Eric says, I'm never going to do this again. And I believe he's been a man of his word. Is that correct, Eric? That is correct. <laughs> and, but he did live, but we were both uh, spent and exhausted on that. But if you look closely, you see there was a T-shirt that we had. And the t-shirt that we had is a team and training t-shirt 
and it says right here, Team Anderson for Anderson Thrower. But then there's Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11. And so as we, we wore these shirts, we were to remember that verse, Jeremiah 29.11. So really, what does, that, what does that, that verse mean? Well, if you look in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29.11, it is one of the favorite verses that our members have selected and one of the favorite verses that, um, uh, that really people all over, people use Bible Gateway, UVerse, Bible, all that, this is one of their favorites. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I think that this verse, maybe more than any other verse, is a life verse of people. If you go on Facebook and you look for someone's life verse, they will many times say, it's Jeremiah 29 11. It's Jeremiah 29 11. I even went online and saw this guy. He liked Jeremiah 29 11 so much that he has it tattooed on his back over here. Now, I'm not here to talk about tattoos, whether they're good, whether they're bad. Let me just kind of put this to you. If God is leading you to tattoo an entire verse, why don't you choose something like rejoice evermore, uh, pray without ceasing. Man, this is, this is something. Okay, so people, they tattoo it on their backs. They use it as life verse. <clears throat> and, and when you read it, especially read it in the New International Version, it says, I know the plans I have uh, for the Lord, plans for prosperity, yeah, that you will prosper and no harm will come to you. And you begin to read that verse and you take that one verse and you say, there's going to be wholeness, there's going to be prosperity, there'll be no harm that will ever happen to me. And people take that verse and they plan it and they say, this is my life verse. God will prosper me, God will not harm me, God gives me a great future, and God gives me a great hope. That is some kind of powerful message. It is the American dream with God's endorsement behind it. And you can look at that verse and take it right there and read it, and this is what you think. When I claim this verse, it sounds to me like God is assuring me of good health, a great job, high return investments, a beautiful spouse, spouse, <laughs> beautiful spouse, smart kids with straight teeth, house trained pets, a lawn with no weeds, computers that never crash, and thousands of followers on Twitter anxiously awaiting the next 144 characters of my wisdom and humor. Jeremiah 29:11, man, just write that verse and claim that verse, and all these great things are going to happen with you. And that may not be your list, but you fill in the blank when it says, hey, these are the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your wholeness, plans to prosper you, plans for no harm. Wow. You look at that, you just fill in the blank and say, this is the way my life is going to be. Just as we did last week with Philippians 4.13, we always need to look in context. So you can't just take a verse out of the air and say, this is what it means. You have to look at it in context. So, with your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 29, let me put this verse in context and give us a better understanding as to what it means. The context is, is that the prophet Jeremiah is writing to a people, writing to those of Judah. And the people of Judah have disobeyed God's commands. This has been going on for a while. They've disobeyed his commands. 
They have begun to worship false idols. They have turned away from God's principles and precepts. They have compromised their character. There's a corruption among the government officials. There's corruption among the spiritual uh, leaders. And God said, I've had enough. I've had enough. And he says, I'm going to raise up a nation to come in and they're going to take you over. And it's going to be Babylon. And then I'm going to raise up a man right here by the name of Jeremiah who will be that prophet. And Jeremiah, you are, in essence, the bearer of bad news. You're going to tell the people that they are going to be taken over. And so that's what Jeremiah does. And he begins to tell them, Babylon's going to come. They're going to take us over. A lot of people said, no, that'll never happen. We're God's people. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because we've been disobedient, because we've been disobedient over and over. And then guess what happens? In 597 B.C., Babylon takes over. And they come in and they take them over. And then they take the people and bring them back to Babylon. And so these exiles are having to go back to Babylon. And so as they go over to Babylon, these people are in a rough situation. I mean, they were displaced from their homes. They have lost everything except what they could carry on their backs to Babylon. They'd lost their freedom. They'd lost their means for making a living. Some of them lost friends and family members who died, who couldn't make the long journey to Babylon. And when they get there, they become slaves. No matter how hard they looked at this situation, it just seemed hopeless. And when you read through Jeremiah, a lot of it sounds that way. But then you get to chapter 29. And in chapter 29... God tells Jeremiah, I want you to write a letter to the exiles in Babylon. Okay? This is a letter that's going to a specific group of people. They're in Babylon. And this is what he tells them. Have your Bibles open. If you start in the fifth verse, he says, I want you to build houses and live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Listen, there were some false prophets that were telling them Listen, I know that you're here in Babylon. It's only going to last about two years. It's only going to last about two years. Well, when they heard that, they said, hey, let's just don't set roots down here. We're only going to be here a couple years. The only problem with that is that it was false. And God had told them and told Jeremiah that it would be 70 years, not two years, 70. So he's telling them, guys, settle in, hunker down, live like you would. Pray for the welfare of the city. As Babylon goes, so do you. If they go good, you go good. Do that. For thus says the Lord of hosts, and he's got all of these things, and he says, don't listen to those who are telling you false hope and false words. You listen to the word of God. And then in all of this, he gives them some hope. In verse 10, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He says, I will discipline you for 70 years. 
And at the end of 70 years, someone else is going to come in and take over Babylon, the Medes and the Persians. They're going to come and they're going to take over Babylon. And when they do, I'm going to send you back to the land. You'll go back to the land, back to Israel, back to Judah. You'll go back to the land. In verse 11, the tattoo one with that guy, this is it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He told these people, right over here, a specific letter, I will bring you back to your land because I got plans for you. Plans for your wholeness, not to do evil to you. Plans to give you a future and to give you a hope. So in context, what does that verse mean? It means that this is God's plan for the nation of Judah. This is not a personal promise to you or to me. God is talking about his plans to once again restore his people, to prosper them, and to literally bring them back from captivity. It was a promise made directly to a specific group of people under specific circumstances during a specific time and at a specific place. It was a letter for them. And it's a multi-generational promise. I just think if you're sitting there reading the letter, all right, uh, let's say uh, if you are 20 years and older, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. If you're 20 years and older, raise your hand. Okay, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them real high. Okay, all those who got your hand up, oh, me too. All those who got your hands up, before this promise comes true, you'll be dead. Look at, look at the people put their hands down. I didn't tell you to put your hands. Yes, you can put your hands down. <laughs> Some of them said, I died. I guess I can put my hand down. 70 years. Yeah, you're sitting there. You're 45. You're feeling pretty good about life. And they said, in 70 years, this will come. Now, I don't know how many people claim that as their life verse. They said, man, this is my life verse. That's what I'm going to live for. Because they're not going to see it. You see, they're, they're going to die. Now, weren't you glad that you came this morning to get that cleared up? What a bummer. Now, hold on. Before you go online to your Facebook account and change your life verse, before you do that, or you go to the tattoo parlor to get your tattoo removed, before you do that, don't panic yet. Hang in there. Because what I've done, I have spent a lot of time taking a look at this verse, and, and I believe that in this verse, there are some universal theological truths that apply to every one of us. So don't throw that verse away yet, okay? Don't throw it away. Don't take it off your Facebook. Now, after we finish the whole sermon, if you want to change that, you can. But I'm going to give you an incredible different understanding or deeper understanding of what this verse means. In context, specific people, specific place, specific time. However, universal truths. What does it mean? It means this. Number one, God does have a desired plan for you. In that verse, God says that I have got a plan for you right over here. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Let me tell you this. God does have a desired plan for you. Now, when you take a look at this and you look at the Hebrew language, literally, literally, that, that word plan can be translated as thoughts. And it says, I know the thoughts that I think for you. 
I know the thought, the thinking about this is God. I know the thoughts that I think for you. The word thoughts, plans, means to weave, to fabricate, the employment of the mind to come up with creative ideas. The employment of the mind to come up with creative ideas. Have you ever met a creative person? Anybody? Can you say amen? Are you just fascinated by how they can be so creative? Now, take the most creative person you can think of. Are you ready? And compare them to the creativity of God, and who do you think wins? God. For some of you, it was a toss-up. That's scary. All right. Yeah, God. Look at our creation. Look what he's, all he's done for us. The creating God says, I'm thinking thoughts of you. I have plans for you. I have these creative ideas. And in these creative ideas, I have come up with a plan for you. Now, so too often we think of a plan, we think it's just something that's real, oh, this, this, this. No, I got this creative plan for you. And let me tell you, in the midst of that creative plan, this is the desire that God has for you. Number one, God desires for you to become a part of his family. God desires for you to become a part of his family. How do you know that? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is patient towards you, wishing that any should perish, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance that all people should repent of their sins. God knows that when he created us, we have a holy God, and when he created us, we began to sin, and we had brokenness. And God had this perfect design, and we broke it because of our sin, and we live a life in brokenness. And we seek different ways to get right with God, and as we seek those ways, they all come up empty, and God says, I've done it for you. I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay that penalty for your sins. And if you receive that gift, then you become a part of my family. To as many received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, the children of God. You become adopted into the family of God. And so in this verse, he's sitting there saying, my desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So God's desired plan is for you to come into the family of God. And you may be sitting out here today, and when Logan was talking about some people that came in, and, you're, and you, you've got these life of disappointments and, and just can't figure out life because the world is crushing you, one of the first steps is to become a part of God's family, to understand his plan, and then to move forward there. So that's the first thing that God desires. The second thing is God desires that you live a full and meaningful life. God desires that you live a full and meaningful life. John 10, 10, Jesus says... I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I came so that you can have a full and meaningful life, and that is God's desire. And when we talk about a full life, that can be defined different ways. It's not by longevity. There are some people who've only lived a few years and have had a greater impact in the world than those who've lived to be 90. But I promise that you will have a full and meaningful life. That is God's desire. And let me tell you the final desire, and that's this. God desires that you do what you were created to do. God desires that you do what you were created to do. All of us are created with certain gifts and passions and abilities and skills, and God wants us to use those for his glory. Now, I love Ephesians 2.10, but I'm taking it from the New Living Translation. And look at the New Living Translation. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. We can just stop right there. 
you're God's masterpiece, okay? And he says, because we are God's masterpiece, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your life to do the things that he planned for you to do the things that he planned long ago. Okay? So, in that verse, it says, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. Let me take, attack the second part of that. Plans not for evil. Plans not to harm you. Is that just the folks in Babylon that he was saying that to? No. That's just the, that's the nature of God. God has no plans of evil for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, he says you can come and you can ask God anything, seek him, knock on the door, and this is what he says, of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, that's us, we're evil, God is holy, we are evil, we have sin within us. Even us, who are broken, sinful creatures, we know how to give good gifts to our children. If they ask for a fish, we're not going to give them a poisonous snake. No. We know how to give them good gifts. And he says, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So our Heavenly Father, you wouldn't give evil things. Our Heavenly Father's not going to give you evil things. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God is never going to tempt you with evil. So in that verse when he says, I have plans for your wholeness, I have plans for no evil. I'm not here to harm you. Now that does not mean that we'll not have difficulties in life. Because what God does through a permissive will and through his sovereignty, he allows these things to come into our lives. And we're going to see in just a moment, he allows those things to come in our lives because what he really wants to see is this wholeness to be developed. I have plans for you. I have plans for your wholeness. The Hebrew word for wholeness is the word shalom. Now, when you usually think about the word shalom, any idea what you think? What's the first word that comes with that? Peace. Yeah. Shalom. Peace. It is a word that, yes, it means peace, but it also means completion fulfillment, entering into a state of wholeness, entering into a state of wholeness, there's a completion, there's a fulfillment. In the International Version, it translates it as prosper, and prosper is a word that works, but in our culture, whenever you think of prosper, what do you think of? You tell me. Money, health, and wealth. I will prosper you. That's great. It means I'm going to get a whole lot of money in my bank account and I'm never going to get sick. Booyah! I love this thing. That's what we think it is. But see, that, that, that word prosper, the best word is to come with wholeness. Because that, that's what the intent of the verse is. Is that what God says, I've got a plan for you. I'm not getting ready to send you back to, uh, to Israel and to Judah just so that you can make a lot of money. I'm seeing you back because I've got plans for your wholeness, your spiritual well-being. 
It's not a guarantee of material prosperity. It is a wholeness and a spiritual well-being. For all of us, life has ups and downs, challenges and disappointments, setbacks and victories. All of that happens. But amazingly is that through all of it, God works towards this goal of wholeness, completion, and fulfillment. Philippians 1.6, Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says this, and I am sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How about that? He began that good work in you. You know, we said that he had a desire for you to be a part of his family. When you make that decision to receive Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and begins to do a new work in you. And it says here that he will continue to do that work until that point of completion. We're all works in progress. Because what God wants to do is he wants to see wholeness. He wants to see spiritual well-being in each of our lives. There is a... um, whenever we realize this, that the the goal is always the same. The goal is wholeness. But a lot of times his ways and his means are varied and he really goes beyond our understanding. There's a song that that we have sung in our church, and you've probably heard it on the radio. It's called Blessings. And it's a song that was written by Laura Story. It's a beautiful song with great lyrics. But the story behind the story is that Laura, when she married her husband, Martin, they had been married for about a year and a half, and he went in and found out that he was having some difficulty with some memory issues and some other things, and they discovered that he had a brain tumor. When they discovered he had a brain tumor, they automatically began to pray and pray for God's healing. And they said there were a lot of surgeries, there were some struggles along the way, but they continued to pray. And they prayed these prayers, but they didn't get answered like they wanted them to get answered. And so what she says is it caused us to come together and redefine what the word blessing means. She said, I always thought that blessing meant health and prosperity. But she says, no, it doesn't mean that. We discovered that blessing comes in waiting and relying on the Lord. And that sometimes... God blesses us by not giving us the things we prayed for. And she said her husband, as he's come through these last few years, he, most of the surgery has been successful, but he still has some effects from that. And so they constantly pray. All their prayers haven't been answered the way they would want them to be answered. But in the midst of this journey, they said they have discovered a newness about God. And they understand what it is to wait on him and to rely on him. Now, most of you are sitting in eager anticipation for me to sing that song, but I can't right now, but I do have the lyrics. Let me just read through these lyrics. I want you to think about these and see if you don't, can't find yourself in this spot. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, and protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet you love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that you're near? 
What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while, you hear each desperate plea and long that we would have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst that this world can't satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? Listen, folks, God has plans for your wholeness, and he will use whatever means possible to conform you to the image of Christ. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for your wholeness, spiritual well-being, not to do evil, plans for to give you a future and a hope. Plans to give you a future and a hope. I looked up that word future in the Hebrew. You know what it means? <laughs> a happy close of life. Yay! <laughs> it's a happy close of life. Yes! I've got plans for a future for you, and, and I've got a hope for you. These exiles are living in difficulty. It couldn't have been much worse. They'd lost family. They'd lost freedom. They've lost their jobs. They've lost everything, and they're going to be stuck here for about 70 years. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of that horrible situation, God sneaks in, and he gives them a word of hope, and he says, this is not the final word for you. There's going to be hope for Israel. There's going to be a hope for Judah over here. And I know all the pain that you've got. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a word of hope. Listen, for these people that were living, let's say, in Jerusalem right before 597 B.C., being a slave in Babylon wasn't even on their radar. And now they are told that they will be there for 70 years. And as we said, most of them that read this letter, they're going to die. They'll never get out of there. But what I thought was so interesting, and this is just an addition to the sermon, no extra cost, you're going to love it, is that as he's writing the letter before he gets to our, our verse 11, he says, build houses, plant crops, have kids, marry off your other kids, get them husbands and wives, pray for the welfare of the city. You're going to be here 70 years and some of you are never going to leave this place. And God didn't sit there and say, well, why don't you just get in the corner and whine and cry about it? And just go, poo-poo me. It's just so bad. Can't believe we have to go through this. And then just give up on life and hang out over there. Because you're not getting out of this place. But he didn't say that. Why? Why did he not say that? Why did he tell these people who they have no hope of getting out of captivity? But he said, build your houses, plant your crops, go on with life. You know why I think he said that? I think he said that because in 70 years, there's another generation that's getting ready to go back to Israel. And I don't want them going back to Israel, and I don't want them to do the same sins that their parents and their grandparents did. 
They need to see you obeying my precepts. They need to see you getting involved and see what it's like to plan a home, to get a job, to take care of your family, to, to rejoice in marriage and to have children and to do life as you're supposed to be doing it. And in following my precepts, that when 70 years are over and it's time for them to go back, they have got an example of how they're supposed to live. And when they go over there, we can see this wholeness take place. You have a future, you have a hope. Which means that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how dire they may be, even in the midst of that, God is still going to speak to you and say, listen, there's a hope, there's a future. You're still worthy, you're still worth something. And God wants to use you. And he told these people this. And so during this time, whenever you, whatever you've done and, and whatever you've gone through, God has got a future and a hope for you. And God can speak a word of hope into the darkest of your circumstances. And if you ever question that what you're going through is so dark that there's no way that God can have a word of hope or can use me, put yourself with these people in Babylon who have no hope. They're not getting out. And yet God comes in and he gives them, he says, I want to change your perspective. Look around, see the kids, see the grandkids. You're pouring into their lives. That's that next generation that's going. And for some of you, you are, you're in a temporary situation. You're in this temporary situation and saying, is there hope for me? Is there? Yes, there is. And God says, I have a future for you. I have a hope for you. And the same God that said that back in 597 B.C. is the same God that says that in 2014. So how do you know that you've got that hope in the future? I can tell you for certain, you have got a future in heaven with God if you have received Christ as your Savior. We have got the ultimate reward that we have a hope. But then there's also a hope and encouragement for us here. How do you hold on to it? You hold on to it with God's Word. Romans 15, 4 says this. For whatever was written in former days, that's the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So how do you have hope? Endurance, perseverance. You stay the course. How? Because I'm encouraged by God's Word. This is not just a bow-up sermon. This says that you need to persevere because God's Word can help you to persevere. You put your faith in God, read His Word, and he'll give you what you need to keep going through each day. There's a future. And there is a hope. All right? So you say, wow, I've got that, that verse down. How does it all come about? Look at verses 12 and 13. This is great. It says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. Look what he says, seek me with all your heart. This is what you can do today. You call out to God. You seek him with all of your heart. There will never be restoration unless there's repentance. And so he says, I want you to repent. I want you to seek me. I want you to call out to me. And when you do, I will be found. And you have a future. And you have a hope. And when you do that, When you call out to God and you begin that journey with him, every painful and victorious step along the way, you will come to know him better and you will be able to know and to follow his plan for your life. I'll go back to our t-shirt. Team Anderson, Jeremiah 29, 11. I've got good news for you. 
And that is in about a month and a half, Anderson will be seven years old and his cancer's in remission. And, uh, and we rejoice with that. Okay. It's good. And when I look at this shirt, I, I see that and I'm, I'm thankful for that, but that's not what, what stays with me. Because see, I, I know from talking to Andy and Jan, a lot of parents don't get that news because children die from pediatric cancer. And it's hard, it's a difficult, it's a hard journey, it's a difficult conclusion to that journey. What I look at when I see Jeremiah 29, 11, is that when that verse says that I have plans for your wholeness, not evil, plans for a future and a hope, I think that because Anderson was diagnosed with cancer, his mom and dad felt God called them to put together a ministry to minister to other people. And to me, the great victory is that over the last five years, there's a ministry now that comes alongside people who are walking through this pediatric cancer journey to give them hope, to give them comfort, and to remind them of the future. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a verse of hope. And that's what they give them. You see, for me, that's where this will always remember. And last Sunday, when we did our time of response when the service is over, there was a couple that came down, stood, waited to talk to me, and they said, hey, we just want to say hey from a friend of yours. Why are you here? Well, we're here because we have a teenage son there at Children's Hospital going through some tests and things. I said, well, have you been here? They've been here, I think, a number of weeks. I said, have you heard of 18 ministry? And she said, no. And I just started, all I did was about two or three sentences. And as I began to explain what they did, she began to cry. And the husband's fighting back tears as he's holding on, and seeing his wife right holding on to her. And I explained what they did for them. And it was like a kind of a well of release for them to know, are you serious? There is really someone that understands what we're going through and can help us? Yes. And then to be able to put your arms around them and pray for them, and then to contact the throwers and say, y'all need to touch base with these people. And uh, this is another family that needs hope. You see, that, that's what I see. I see in that verse that God has a plan for our wholeness. He does have a plan for wholeness. And he doesn't want us to do evil. He does, he's not going to do evil to you. He wants to remind you that you have a future and that you have a hope. And that's what we need to carry with us today. We're going to come to a closing part of our service. And um, I'm going to ask Logan to uh, come up here. And Logan's going to, uh, to lead us in a song but as he does, this is, this is how I want us to close this part. At the very end of our service, when we're all finished, if you want a minister to pray with, we're going to be here at the front, right over here to the side. If you want to join our church, receive Christ as Savior, we want to talk to you. I don't know, God's just put on my heart that this song that we're going to sing, that as, as we stand in a moment, that as soon as he begins playing that, 
if you have any desire to just to come front and to pray, you're not taking anyone's hand, you're just going to come and just kneel here. And it may be for a moment, maybe longer, and just praying. Because something in this sermon may have connected with you. Something that God's doing in your life. And you're saying, I just God right here. I need to deal with this. If no one comes, that's fine. If, if a bunch, that's fine. This altar's going to be wide open as we sing. It's your response. And if you feel God's called you to do that, I want you to have the freedom just to come here and to pray. So I want us to stand. And as we stand, Logan is going to lead us. We're going to join with him as we sing. Our altar is open if you want to come and just pray here. Logan?